0: Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Business Excellence Podcast. My name is Rail Bricker coming to you from Perth, Western Australia. For a value added extra, excellencepodcast.com has heaps of free resources for you to download. That is excellencepodcast.com. And with me from London in the United Kingdom is Katerina Costula who is an executive coach and author. Welcome, Katerina.
1: Thank you, Raul. I'm very happy to be here. Now, what
0: intrigued me, Katerina, is you run a company called LeaderPath and you worked at Google, but actually your book that you wrote called Hold Successful Meetings. Now, most people I know are not petrified of meetings. They just hate going to meetings in the first place um because they probably don't see them as successful so what brought you to writing a book about right, about meetings
1: i'm one of those people and i think that's the reason in in my corporate life when i left google and i left corporate life one of the biggest uh, joys was oh my goodness i won't have to sit through internal meetings anymore i i was one of those people that i found a lot of internal meetings frustrating boring And it was not my intention to to write a book about meetings. I I have to say, if you even asked me two or three years ago, but then the more I was coaching my clients, executives, business people, the more I realized how meetings were at the heart of what they were doing as as a leader. And, And if you think about the definition, being a leader is guiding a group of people towards a common purpose. Holding a meeting is guiding a group of people towards a common purpose of real time. So the more I was coaching leaders, the more I realized the, how huge of an overlap. And if you can learn to hold successful meetings, and if you can help people hold successful meetings, how they they feel a sense of belonging, they feel a sense of impact, their impact is magnified. And, and then what also came to me as I was discussing with my publisher, because initially, I didn't want to write a book about meetings. My my thinking is I want to write a book about leadership. And and it was my publisher, Penguin, that said, we want you to write a book because it's part of the Penguin Business Expert series that solves a specific problem. So, So the idea about the meetings came through the back and forth with the publisher. And when they mentioned the meetings, I had the first reaction that you mentioned, oh my goodness, meetings, I hate meetings. But then I realized that all my life, whether I was a salesperson at Google or was an executive coach or a team coach. My craft was holding meetings. I, I just never called them meetings. I called them sales conversations when it was with my clients at Google. I called them coaching sessions. I called them team coaching sessions. And I realized I actually have a lot of tools from my sales days and my coaching days, a lot of tools that I, I could give through this book to manage everyday managers for their everyday meetings to help them make them more successful. So and that's how so, the book came about.
0: Okay, so let me ask you a question then. Are we talking about, any time, a meeting being defined as any time two or more people are interacting, whether it's over the water cooler, in the lunchroom, or in the boardroom, you know, wh- wh- what are you targeting? Um, you know, what do you define as meetings? And then should we be applying the same principles all the time?
1: I define as a meetings, the definition I shared in the beginning, guiding a group of people towards a common purpose, real time. So I would say that the watercolor, if there's not a common purpose, I would define it as social time. I wouldn't define it as meetings, and uh, and there is a distinction because social time works better when you're trying, for example, to build team cohesion. We, you, they're both tools that you can use, and a lot. Of, uh, one of the mistakes is that we use the wrong tools. For example, we want the team to feel closer together. And we book a meeting that everyone shares an update and people are bored out of their minds. While if we realize, actually, what I want is team cohesion, book a social time, and that will work better for that objective. If meetings are great tools when you have a common purpose, when you're trying to achieve something that needs the, the whole of the group.
0: Okay. So so my uh, before we, we started recording, I told you, and I've always defined meetings as places where minutes are kept and hours are lost. What's the most common mistake that people make in meetings and why does everyone dread them?
1: The the most common mistake I would say is that we're not clear on the purpose of the meeting. And to solve that and let me tell you a story on why people dread them, because you mentioned why people dread them. I was observing a meeting, and the, the team, it was a marketing team that had to make a simple decision. How? What system are we going to use to invite people to a webinar? Very simple. One thing of the agenda. Let's decide on this and move on. And as I was observing, they got stuck on this. There was chaos. The leader wanted to make a decision, so he was trying things like, let's put things to a vote, or let's go with option A. Let's move on. Trying to close this, right? And you had another participant throwing new systems and new ideas. Maybe we could invite them this way or this way and keep throwing ideas. Then there was a third person thinking, why are we discussing this? Not really understanding the point of the conversation or what what the problem was. So this happens all too often in meetings because each one of these participants had a different objective. Someone wanted to make a decision. Someone wanted to generate ideas. And someone did not even understand the the problem to begin with. So I would say that one of the simplest things we can do, and that's why I developed the 4D meeting framework, is to be clear at this moment or for these meetings, which is the objective. And the 4D meeting framework is the four Ds that are stages to solve any problem. D, define the problem, develop ideas, decide the way forward, and do what you decided. Define, develop, decide, and do. So if you can be clear, why are we having this meeting? Is it to define the pro- our problem or the goal? Is it to develop ideas? Do this. And then even if you have more than one this in the meeting, do it in clearly defined stages. So when we are developing ideas, everyone is developing ideas rather than someone trying to close and, and make a decision. Then you can have less chaos and it will be more productive. People will participate more because you need for these D's, you need... Their brain power. All of those things need benefit from everyone's brain power. The biggest mistake is we don't know why we're having the meeting. Most of the time it's out of um, habit. We give updates. We don't use our brain power. And when we're trying to solve something, we we chaos ensues ensues because we are not clearly defining the steps. We're not aligning the participants to do the same thing at the same time.
0: Okay, so when you say that you're not talking of a formalized agenda, you're just talking about. Um, you know, I mean, the number of people and in my corporate life, you know, seeing people, well, we're having our Tuesday morning meeting. Why? Because we've always had a Tuesday morning meeting. Um, and you said that, you know, people, people having meetings because of habit rather than anything else. Um, you know, how do we get out of that habit? I mean, how do we break that mold? How do we teach leaders to, say, define a purpose? Before you call the meeting?
1: I would say it's easier to be done if it starts from the top. The higher you are in an organization, if you see the meeting culture and you see, then there are different ways to do that. I know Dropbox, for example, they stopped all meetings for two weeks. And then they had to, if you wanted to bring a meeting back, people had to argue for bringing it back. And that helped them. Dropbox, Dropbox, the business, grew very much, but their meetings didn't grow at the same rate as their number of employees did. Uh, There is a lot of... For example, if it is a a regular meeting, there, there are ways you can do... You can have it as a hold in the calendar and someone needs to put their stake in the ground and say, we're having this meeting because of X. Otherwise, if nobody puts their stake on the ground to say why we're having it, it's not happening. It's just a hold in the calendar. That's another way you can make sure there is a reason for the meetings to happen because they are expensive, right? We know that, right? Having people simultaneously, it's expensive. You lose productivity. You have them interrupt their deep work. They can be hugely beneficial because we can be inspired by one another, And we can have better solutions or we can cover inside. So if if there is a purpose, they can be hugely beneficial and productive. But if there's not, they're costly in terms of money, in terms of productivity, and in terms of well-being. The burnout is correlated. The more meetings we have, the more tired we are in the end of the day. Uh, So we need to be a lot more conscious of having fewer but more successful meetings.
0: Okay. Well, okay. So right at the beginning, when you, you spoke about defining why to have meetings, um there are people, and particularly in the in the two years of the pandemic or close to two years, and however long the COVID pandemic is going to last, um, who've who've used the online meeting as a, a substitute for what they would have done in the office, which is management by walking around, you know, stopping at someone's desk and saying, How are you? and looking them in the eye and saying, you know, it looks like you've been crying. Do you want to have a conversation, or, or great? I heard you did well at the football on Saturday. We've lost with people working from home. We've lost that. Have have companies been substituting the 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 the, the Zoom meeting or the Teams meeting or or some other you know other, other software that we don't like <laughs> uh, meetings just to substitute that human connection?
1: Yeah, I think it's safe to assume that we have. What I would say to that is, human connection is crucial, also to have successful meetings. I always suggest before you dive into whatever agenda or purpose, you connect at the human level. But w- what I also say is that while m- successful meetings need the human connection, the human connection doesn't necessarily need meetings, and that's what I. And it's it's harder to make the distinction when we're in a virtual world. Whats social time and what's a meeting, right? But I would say if, if what you're really trying to, to do is connect at the human level, try to make it differently. It could be a phone call. I would say if it's only two people, voice only works better to connect at the human level and you kind of break the zoom fatigue and and make it explicit. I think the mistake we make is we we want to connect at the human level, but we pretend there is a work reason we're meeting. Make it explicit. Or or you can have a virtual social time. And I would say, make it different. Maybe ask people to wear something different if it's like a Friday social time virtually or or use a different platform. If you're using Zoom or Teams for your meetings, the social time, which is the, the objective is to connect at the human level. I, I've heard people using house party or a different platform. How can you make it different? Invite people to be in a different room. Maybe everyone is walking while we're doing this. It, I know it's harder to make the distinction virtually but make it less structured. The purpose is to connect at the human level and, and check how everyone is doing. Uh, and then it's perfectly fine. That's human connection yeah. through virtual means. It's not a meeting um, that people think they need to be there. They need to have the makeup on or the hair nice because they're in Zoom. That, that can drain people if, if it's too much. So
0: two years, you know, in 2019, I was asked to be the opening speaker at an Agile conference the Agile Alliance in it was in Southeast Asia it was in Kathmandu, pretty cool place to go and visit. But but what struck me there was this ultra obsessiveness with the scrum, with having that twenty minute fifteen minute meeting with an, a very rigid structure to it, and I had come out of a, a much more laissez faire attitude, you know, laissez-faire environment, you know, so so, do we have to swing the pendulum all the way to that, that rigid, the scrum master tells you what to do kind of meeting, which is the agile philosophy? Or, or do you think that's swinging the pendulum too far again?
1: So, from what I know, from agile, they have the meet. They They call their meeting ceremonies, right? And it's the daily stand up, and and that's the bridge. I think that's what you're referring yeah, to the, the daily twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah. And what I would say to that is, more and more companies, for example, I think Basecamp is one of those. The daily stand up doesn't happen in a meeting. There are tons of apps that you can just write every day. This is what I'm working on today. This is what I achieved today. This useful information. Why does it have to happen? It doesn't have to happen synchronously. For some teams, I'm not, I'm not saying everyone should use the apps. I, in my business, it works to, to for this type of short update, what I'm working on, to use the apps. Um, for other people, they, they like this meeting. This is There's not a right option for all. But I would say, yeah, we, we shouldn't be slaves because Agile says we have, need to have a daily stand-up. There, there are alternative ways to have this update. I call the stand-ups, the scrum as you call them, I call them do meetings because the real objective is to remove any obstacles on execution and make sure the execution is done. So what happens, what I hear people complain about this daily stand-ups is that they find them boring. And they're boring when they're not treated as do meetings, but they're treated as update meetings. If you're just updating, do it via email, by snippets, via an app. If you, though you want to have a do meeting that you're removing blockers and you're brainstorming and you're brainstorming as a team how we're going to remove those blockers, then it's an interesting meeting and it, it serves a purpose to do it real time. I lo- what I, the meeting I like from Agile is the retrospective because nobody wants to do a retrospective. We hate looking back and seeing what went wrong, and we want to move on and we want to wrap up everything in a nice bow. I really like I like the retrospective as a ceremony, and it, I call this a defined meeting because you define what you would do differently in the future, what you would do the same It's an exploratory meeting. And, and that's a meeting that a lot of us avoid. And I really like in the agile philosophy.
0: Okay. Now I'm going to, I'm going to uh, one one observation, by the way, there is a, a, a well-known speaker here in Australia who, who who is very obsessed with meetings, just like you are. Okay. And, he actually decided that for every local council in this area, because we don't have, a, we don't have uh, COVID in, pers- in Western Australia, so he's actually visiting every single local council within a 100-kilometre radius and uh, going as an observer to their council meetings and then writing a report on their meeting processes and policies. Um, okay. I think he's done about 15 of these so far. Um, obviously he he's an expert like you know you are in helping companies and organizations have better meetings um yes but but you know that's an interesting take that he's taken where he's gone out and publicly on social media talks about um, You know, i'm going to this council tonight and I'm to this. he doesn't pass his comments on observations on social media he keeps those for the council themselves but that's just a um oh th- th- yeah. that's an interesting the, you know in case yeah. you get bored one day that's there's an interesting yes yeah you, I
1: right? wish I had thought of that because I did that as a book research I observed tons of meetings pro bono for my clients I wish I had thought about the council idea yeah. that I think that's brilliant it could offer something to the to the council too well
0: that's that's why he's doing it but it's just interesting because you know he was t- I was talking to him at a at a meeting of professional speakers the other night and he was saying about a particular council where I live um, and you were saying how well organized the councillors were. And they had 400 pages of preparation notes for the meeting,
1: wow. and
0: they were all well on top of the agenda and they kept to time. And, you know, he, he was very complimentary, but this was on a personal level that we had discussed it. You know, he spoke about it to a group of us. So there's a comment made in one of your bios about a low that, that a lonely genius is a myth. I'm changing tech completely. But that was something I highlighted when I read this. Tell me about the, why the lonely genius is a myth.
1: I stumbled into this idea while I was researching the book. And it was a piece of data that someone actually took, I think, 2 million uh, published research papers and patents over 50 years. We're talking about a lot of data. Mm-hmm. And what they looked is. How many of those were published by one person, and how many of those were published by a team? And what he found is that the research papers and the patents that were filed and or published by a team were quoted twice as often as those published by individuals. And this this blew my mind. I was so impressed by this fact because we've been We have this ideal in in the Western world, right? The genius, the the Steve Jobs or the Einstein, the the genius is alone in a room and comes up with something groundbreaking. But the data doesn't prove that. The data says that if you work in a team, you're more likely to do something groundbreaking that people will quote twice as often. So this is where this phrase was triggered. And it, it did transform my business, I would say like it transformed me the the way I approach how because I I left Google. I was a solopreneur. Now I'm more and more, I'm collaborating. I bring a team in and I help my clients build this team around them because we can achieve a lot more if we have a team.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And there's that whole, you know, that, that, that that commonly quoted phrase, there's no I in the word team. Um, Well, okay. So, how do teams make better decisions and how do they ensure that collaboration initiatives don't fail if if collaboration is the way that that that, that 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 a group of lonely geniuses are not lonely anymore and are impacting the world, how do they ensure that their collaborations are successful?
1: I love that question because it's not that obvious because we 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 know that people should collaborate departments should collaborate but We've seen it failing again and again. And what the what the key reason is, is that we find a lot of times that collaborating with someone threatens us, threatens our role in the organization, threatens our territory, our validity as, as professionals. And that's the reason. While on paper, we're trying as business owners to bring collaboration, maybe this department should collaborate with this department and we give them the funding and maybe we give them the leader too and we think we've done everything we can. And and then we observe they're reserving information and they're not sharing information or they're not meeting. Collaboration fails in practice. And the reason is we didn't take care of their psychological needs of what's their place in the organization individually. So there might there is an eye in the team, unless you're a ve- you're a very evolved human being without an ego. Yeah. But in most businesses, we're not that evolved human beings. There are egos at play, and if you want the collaboration to succeed, you need to satisfy those egos by saying, okay, maybe in pricing you need to collaborate with that department, with the sales department. But actually, you have this other bit here that is completely your own, and you're not thre- your place in the organization is not threatened, or maybe. Because you need to collaborate on pricing with the sales department, I'll give you more autonomy on this, or maybe I'll give you another. You need to do this p- p- play, if you wish, so that people don't feel threatened by the collaboration. That, that's what I've learned through experience and, and through uh, reading the status on the topic. Now, okay. the decision-making is another. T- I'll pause here, and yeah. then we can discuss decision-making if you want.
0: Yeah, so, so well, the, the collaboration and decision-making are related but different, I understand. And so, so how do you take a – and when you're talking of this department and that department, you're talking of a, of a larger organization with fairly um, siloed departments, um, you know, where, where, where you do need cross-departmental collaboration. So, so taking a team across those silos, how do you get them to make better decisions?
1: Yes. So, and the collaboration, the the same, I want to say the same principles are for everything. I I wanted to collaborate with another coach, with a team. I love the collaboration. Still, I I felt, how am I going to, is this coach, what if they have a different opinion? Is my, my relationship with the client threatened because I bring a new coach in? Like, I want us to be aware that even in collaborations of two people, we have psychological needs that feel threatened by the collaboration that we need to nurture. So for the collaboration to work. Going on, on the decision making, I would say the number one we, mistake we make is we are not clear how we're going to make the decision. And, and by how I mean the three ways we can make a decision is consensus, majority rule, let's put it to a vote, or consultative. There's a clear decision maker, but the group consults the decision maker, the, the decision maker listens to everyone and then they make the decision. I've, this is not explicit in most of the teams I've observed. I don't know about your experience, Rail. Like they, they think it's a consensus, but it's not. So they get frustrated. They think they have a vote, but it's not. Or the leader wants a consensus, so they go around in circles forever and they never make a decision. And this is costly and takes forever. And the lack of decision actually is more harmful because they really want to achieve consensus. So I would say the first thing is be clear, even in the beginning of the meeting, this is how we're making going to make a decision. Is it a consensus majority rule or a consultative decision-making process? And if you're clear and you explain to people how the decision was made, people, even if they disagree, they're more likely to commit to the decision because they're clear how the decision was made and if they're listened to. So that's the, the first thing I would say. And the second thing is, if you want better decisions, you need to encourage productive conflict.
0: You need to encourage Sorry. um, Productive conflict. Productive conflict. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so rigorous, rigorous debate, you know, rigor, have rigor to your structure. And, and uh, I guess we can, you know, we can carry on talking for hours about as a leader. I work a lot in the culture space and how you create a culture where, where, where people's opinions matter. And and even if they're in the majority, in the minority, how they how their opinions matter, but but we can we can carry on debating for a long time, but but we try and keep these episodes to around the twenty five minute mark, because one day when the world goes back to normal, most people commute between twenty five and thirty minutes, and therefore it's a perfect podcast episode for that period. So that's been an a, a, an enjoyable conversation. We've weaved through a lot of different topics. Katarina. if people are interested in Leader Path for coaching pioneering leaders and teams for impact and fulfillment, which is your byline, um, or speaking to you as a meetings expert, what is the best way to contact you?
1: Sure. I would say two ways. You either go to theleaderpath.com. It it has a "they" in the beginning. It's theleaderpath.com and um and there i have a, a gift for our listeners as well they can download i have four gu- free guides for mindset for leading inclusive teams even for sabbaticals there's a toolkit full of guides uh, that they can download for free and also i i spend a lot of time on linkedin uh, you you saw you saw me this morning i post there daily so it's katerina Costula on linkedin i'd love to to be connected with uh, your listeners
0: thank you very much katerina um Thank you for joining us from London in the United Kingdom on the Business Excellence Podcast. This is Rail Bricker from Perth, Western Australia signing off for today's edition of the Business Excellence Podcast with a reminder to pop along to excellencepodcast.com where you can download a number of free resources to help you on your journey to excellence in both business and in life.